0: Unlike me. Hello, it's me again – no, don't turn off, hang on. Before we start this episode, which is a lovely collection of various guests that appeared on my time capsule in 2021, telling me about the thing they'd put in a Christmas time capsule, let me explain what happens in this ep... I've just done it. <clears throat> now, if you listen regularly, you'll know that that's embarrassingly succinct for me. Oh well, I'll just have to bite the bullet and let you listen to the episode. Merry Christmas.
3: I enjoy Christmas, but like everybody... Well, I think like everybody else, the build-up to Christmas can be a bit... uh unnecessarily stressful. And you're thinking, oh, what am I going to buy to auntie this? Or oh, what can I buy my wife? You know, that she hasn't. And you think, well, it, it should just be joy. It should just, just be great because, uh, you know, you don't, really, you don't really care what you're given yourself. Anything's quite jolly. So, But you're worried about not doing the right thing for your children or your family. Do you or... not
0: occasionally, at Christmas, get to the point when all the presents have been given and you've opened all your presents, you have a little pile of yeah. presents that, you, that you've received. Do you not occasionally look at them and think, Is that it? Is that all I've got?
3: I think that's a bit... I think that might be quite a male thing, sort of grown-up men. People uh, can't really think of what to buy you. I don't know why. When my children were very young... Uh, build up to Christmas was was uh, stressful because I have three children uh, and a wife and there's me and my wife's birth is just before Christmas. So since when the time I was in charge of getting the presents for the children to give to their mother uh, that's where well, you do the math as they say. I had eight presents to buy for my wife every year until the children were grown up enough.
0: To make their own mistakes.
3: Yeah once they are about you know 18 months old I said right you're in charge. I had several <laughs> <laughs> it was usually quite a busy time of the year for me you know with with the uh, you know once we're doing television programs that, that built up to Christmas so it wasn't ideal uh time but anyway that's it's more fun than not having presents to buy
0: yeah so uh, so what is it you particularly like Clive, about Christmas
3: so you know sometimes you're asked these questions what are your favorite you, you think oh I don't know what is my favorite novel what is the my the the record I'd you know, this is a continuing problem on these sorts of podcasts that uh, <laughs> yes. we all do. Um, but so, but I immediately thought, the thing about Christmas I like is a pantomime. Uh, don't go to absolutely loads and loads and loads, but over the years, I've seen quite a few. Mm. I suppose in recent years, I live in, you know, Islington, Highbury, The quite close to there is the Hackney Empire, and they do a pantomime every Christmas, almost always starring Clive Rowe playing the pantomime dame, and he's a particularly good pantomime diamond. Maybe he doesn't want people to always praise him for this, but he is very, very good in it. And the Hackney Empire, it's the old-fashioned pantomimes looking back to oldie worldly England but reflecting the, the the racial makeup of Hackney today and good old jokes, some even new ones if <laughs> they can squeeze them in fabulous costumes, so I'd say it's a very traditional pantomime and I've seen uh, quite a few over the years in different uh, um, one of my first theatrical memories i.e. being in the theatre hmm. was a little local production of a pantomime I think it was called something like Polly Perkins or something and uh, it's the odd the things <laughs> that stick in your memory because at some point in it there was sort of an audience participatory bit where the the hero the the buttonsy kind of character is supposed to say yes this the magic item we can see i can see it it is here isn't it isn't it everybody and we were all supposed to shout back yes we can see it but it was a raucous night maybe it was the last night and uh, mates were in and they all shouted back. no we can't see it. Uh, so we all joined <laughs> in. no we can't <laughs> see it. completely ruining it. That's it. you've done pantomime i've you? done a lot of
0: pantomime yes i've done a lot of pantomime in yeah. my time uh, therefore i have a brain stuffed yes full of those jokes oh good you have to gather the them all together and then they they stay with you forever so all those if I say to someone what's your name they say Neil in normal life I almost automatically go down on one knee
3: (laughs) why wouldn't you
0: why wouldn't you yes but you've written Pantomime, haven't
3: you? Well, yes, when I was at uh, university, uh, I, I, me and my friend Simon wrote a pantomime. And in preparation for it, you know, to get some... Uh, this is in Cambridge, and the Arts Theatre in Cambridge is a it's like a proper commercial theatre, it's not just for students. So they had a pantomime every year, and I saw the last one that Cyril Fletcher did. Oh, wow. He did about 20 years of doing pantomimes, and they told him, no, this is your last, Cyril. And I'm not saying he was bitter about it, but he made references in his pantomime to the fact, oh, <laughs> well, enjoy it now because next year you won't understand it because oh it's, mu- it's much more intellectual next year. And you think, well, what's he on about? And <laughs> next year was John Moffat, who is a distinguished actor. He had he was starring in and indeed had written the pantomime. And uh, we went to see him and it was a fantastic pantomime. It was uh, really good. It had Dennis Lawson in it and Zoe Wanamaker. I think it was one of her first stage roles and it was, it was great. We wrote one for the, you know, student pantomime, which we enjoyed. I wrote one for the radio with Rory McGrath, which was fun when we finally Got the script done, which we, we were a bit late in delivering the script to. Uh, ironically enough, the, the producer was Douglas Adams, who went on to become the superstar writer of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and famous for missing deadlines. Where every time he wrote a novel, or anything he was notorious to be locked into rooms to get it done. But we gave him the idea. Obviously, he was so late, and this was pre the days of the internet and email and stuff. We were actually in Cambridge, where Rory was living, and we finished the second half and took it to Cambridge Station and found a, a pleasant-looking woman who he didn't know, saying, could you take this script, this envelope with you to Liverpool Street, where they were going to, and a, a tall, worried man called Douglas will find you and, and, and you can no. the script. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> My God. So she, And, and uh, that part of it worked. I mean, she didn't just tear it up and throw it away. But it's not for everybody because you've got to enjoy the sort of uh, corniness of it and the fact that the, you know, there's ludicrous costumes and, and some people, especially nowadays, are not that comfortable with, you know, men dressing as women and women dressing as men and all that kind of, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable enough with that. I'm old fashioned enough to, to, yeah. you get the enjoyment from it. Yeah, when you're on stage, you play Dame. Yes. When Clive Rose doing it, who I started talking about, his, I would hope he doesn't mind me saying he's quite a big... Man and when you put him in a huge frock, he is a you know, an imposing presence on stage, but he's got a great singing voice and he also moves and So I'm just now I'm imagining you with a big woman's costume.
0: <laughs> so how do you compare with the great club? Well,
3: not so much with that, but just how are you some people are always very much here I am a man inside.
0: And yeah, now I play it entirely as a man. <laughs> the great thing about being a dame is that most of it is padding, so you don't have to be a very large, imposing person to look like a large Imposing person. Yeah. I nearly always start a pantomime by coming on and going, Oh hello, but oh I can't keep that up. <laughs> That'll be my opening line. Yes. Uh, and then from then on I talk exactly like I do oh, right. you know which I think is sort of what a dame should do. I yeah. think he should be clearly a man in a dress.
3: Sort of, and this may be in itself a sexist, I don't know, but I think uh, the audience is more comfortable sometimes with laughing at a man looking a bit ungainly mm-hmm. or even ugly. And uh, we know it's a man, we know, and you with no actual human being offended. Great. Where if it's a woman doing it, which I've, I can't. remember seeing them, but I'm sure has been done quite a lot uh, you know a woman playing the dame it's oh no are we laughing at the actress uh, the, the woman the real one or are well, we laughing
0: at the part but yeah no, well no it's mm. complicated because in fact a lot of the jokes that you do would be at your own expense mm. you know you might make jokes about your husband yeah. or your ex-husband <laughs> or the ex-husbands yeah. quite yes. often usually the dame is a single woman and she is desperately trying to find yeah. a partner but I do enjoy the process of putting it together and making sure you've got good jokes you know? Yeah. I, I would do jokes like, sorry, it's Christmas. I put on weight. Actually, I was big in the summer. I was big and I was lying on the beach and Greenpeace tried to push me back into the sea.
3: <laughs> yes. I don't know if the audience to this podcast are
0: laughing, but I am. I'm not sure the children necessarily get the jokes. When I say things like I was so large, I started wearing a G rope. <laughs>
3: But there we are. (laughs) Next year, you and I can write a pantomime. I'll just do the boring stuff, the plot and the who's going to marry who at the end and all that. (laughs) And you can just pepper it with these rip snortingly original jokes so that was my answer thing i like about christmas pantomime and uh, pantomime with you in it is clearly uh, the absolute top-notch thing so next christmas i'll be seeking you out at the alhambra empire or wherever you're going to be performing
0: you should have come and seen me at the cambridge arts i played it i did three years i followed christopher biggins you can imagine i'm sure you're well up to biggins yes i I could run faster (laughs) Clive Anderson there. Our next guest has won Commonwealth, European, and Olympic medals for Great Britain in athletics and is a Scottish record holder for the 400 metre hurdles. She was a guest on my time capsule back in January 2021, right in the middle of lockdown. So it was lovely to talk to Ailey Doyle again and discover what she treasures and what she'd be glad to forget about Christmas. Christmas is coming. Hopefully. So I won't keep you forever. I'm just going to pick your brain of something that you put into a Christmas time capsule.
4: Yeah. So I think definitely to keep would be The Muppet Christmas Carol, the movie. <laughs> it's my favourite Christmas movie. and um, But it has been since I was, we were little. Me and my two sisters in particular love it. More the songs really than anything uh, And we kind of feel a bit guilty because we had it on videotape when we were, when we were younger And we used to watch it on video And there's a song that I don't know if you've ever seen it I have, yeah There's a song that Michael Caine sings with his love interest And we used to find this song really boring We'd always fast forward it <laughs> And then we went back and watched it, obviously a bit older And there we've all got kids of ourselves And watching it back, this song's cut it doesn't exist anymore No And I thought, I thought, where's that song? And at first I was like, oh, great, because that song, we always fast forward it. And then I felt a bit guilty. And I thought, it's a shame because it doesn't add to the plot or anything like that, but it does make the movie make a bit more sense when the song's in it. Um, It's called When Love Is Gone. And it's a kind of soppy romantic song between the two characters. And I thought, I wonder if people just, loads of people fast forward the song and it got cut. So I actually looked up to see what happened to it. And what I read was that um, they took it out because they didn't think it was appropriate for kids. They wouldn't enjoy that song in it. So they took it out, but then they lost any copies of it. No. So they could never bring it back in.
0: We have lost Michael Caine singing yeah, song. Yeah, singing
4: the song When Love Is Gone. So uh, we've, I think, <laughs> still got it on our, our videotape somewhere. But then I felt really bad. And every time I watch it now and it's on the telly, I'm like, oh, it really misses that song. The one that we used to always fast forward. So I feel a bit guilty that, yeah. that it lost the song. In there. But we watch it now with our own kids. but. We'll always kind of text to there when we're watching it because we'll quote it and there's my sister does a really good impression of Michael Caine's dancing in it and things like that. So there's a lot of nice <laughs> kind of family memories with it. Well,
0: you should video yourself singing this song and put it on YouTube so that <laughs> any, you know, at any point people say, And we stop the film here and Ailey will now tell us what's missing. <laughs> <laughs> there's always those, those songs in those sort of movies, aren't there? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Oh, What a Lovely Lonely Man in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. Beautiful voice, wonderful yeah song swinging about on a swing always fast forwarded
4: yeah it's just we didn't obviously enjoy it as kids but now i feel guilty that it's not there anymore now and it's not a part yeah. of the movie. so hopefully it will be found at some point and they can they can add it again now
0: you should hang on to that videotape though it may be the only copy
4: well it's somewhere in my mum and dad's loft i think and that's a whole other <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that's what i would keep and i think what we get rid of and i only really decided this properly yesterday is people who can decorate their Christmas tree and make it look immaculate. <laughs> and it's a jealousy thing, here more than anything. But every year I sort of kind of think, right, I'll do the tree this way and it'll look great. And and however I try and do my Christmas tree, it just looks like a mess. And, and then I think sometimes <laughs> I think, oh, it looks quite good. And I take a photo and then I'll go on social media and see everybody else sharing theirs, there. And I just think, mine just looks like an absolute disaster. And, and I, I think a lot of it's, again... From my family, I mean, my mum and dad, when they used to put their Christmas tree up, I'm one of four siblings and they used to have their Christmas tree covered in just tat that we'd made at school. Yeah. And they kept it on there for years and years. I remember going back home on Christmas and seeing like a lot of Christmas pudding hanging that I'd made in like primary two and they still had it. And I thought, well, fair play to them. And I think it was that kind of notion of they're not really meant to be that neat. They're just, you know, you put up all your baubles and your tinsel and everything. And But as I've got a bit older, I've tried to make mine look nicer <laughs> i just can't mm-hmm. like whatever way i do it Put the lights on first or if i you know try and make it a bit more color coordinated i just i just don't think they're destined to look good and then i see other people's and i think have they made their christmas tree look so good
0: well for a start they've almost certainly not let any children in true it. yeah uh-huh once you say okay do you want to put this up you spend the whole time saying so that one right next to the other one that's exactly the same as yeah. I decorated the tree with my granddaughter the other day, and uh, we have a section which is reserved for uh, feathery birds. Right. So there's a whole aviary yeah. in the middle of my Christmas tree with no bulbers or
4: anything around it. So it does look a mess, yeah. but at the same time, delightful. Well, that's it. I think that's the main thing. As long as you're happy with it yourself. I got my son to help, so he's, he'll be two in January now, so... We'll be- I thought, we'll let him join in and let him help. And within about five minutes, he'd pulled off a star on my lights and he'd uh, decapitated an angel. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I thought, I'll oh, just maybe wait till he goes to bed and then I'll finish it off properly. Yeah. Um, so at least he enjoys it anyway.
0: Yeah, that's the important thing. That's the important thing about Christmas, I think. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Too many people are worried about the look of it or the effect of it. Mm. So I think you're right to put those people into a time capture <laughs> and bury them. Because, yes, they all make <laughs> us jealous, yeah. but at the same time,
4: they're wrong. Exactly, yeah. I think it should be a mismatch. It should be homemade ornaments and tat all over your tree. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's perfect. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> The lovely Ailey Doyle. And personally, I can't wait to see The Muppet's Christmas Carol again this year, even without Michael Caine's song. Yeah, I wouldn't bother looking at Ailey's tree, though. It's always a complete mess. Right, moving on, my next Christmas guest is a contributor to Private Eye, a member of the comedy improv troupe Ostentatious, star of the TV show The MASH Report, and one of the members of the smash hit podcast No Such Thing As A Fish. Lazy good for nothing. It's Andrew Hunter Murray. (laughs) Okay, Andy, well, what I'm looking for is something from your life that you either love so much or, in fact, loathe so much about Christmas that you'd want to bury it in the ground in a time
5: capsule. Can I pick something a bit uh, conceptual? Yeah, yeah, I like conceptual. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I'm almost a conceptual performer. I think of myself (laughs) that way. Okay, well, I will pick the spell on about the 28th or 29th of December. where that's where I think the real Christmas happens because that's where at the point at which I think you're so deeply dug in. If you're lucky enough to have a bit of a break between Christmas and New Year, that's where the Christmas is so intense because lots of people work <laughs> until the 24th. By the 28th or 29th, you're right there in the kind of hole in the ground nest of Christmas. Mm. Um, so I go and stay with my family every Christmas. And you know, that's that's um, what I've done for many years. And, and by that point, you might be a book or two into the pile of books that you're hoping to get through. <laughs> and you've been eating really poorly for about four days now. And that, for me, is the deep Christmas time that I really, really like. Mm. Especially because it's the time when (laughs) I personally start to realise everything I've been doing wrong with my life and exactly how I remedy it and exactly the enormous changes I need to make to my life in the next year. And this spell, (laughs) it only lasts a couple of days, unfortunately. I never remember on the 2nd of January what these huge changes were, exactly how I was going to completely remedy all my ills. But for that brief spell, you have a little realise, oh, yeah, this is really the way to live. On a sofa with <laughs> yeah. lots
0: of chocolates.
5: That's got to be
0: the answer. Yeah. Are you a person who is happy on Christmas Day if at the end of present opening you just have a big pile
5: of books? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I I, I always have a big pile of books that are waiting to be read uh, and it waxes and wanes as the year goes on. People don't give me books very much, to be honest. It's really no. Do they not? They, I think they think I'm going to be a fusspot about it, and they're right. Uh, and they also <laughs> think that I'm so pathetically easily stressed that I'll feel a great sense of obligation on receiving a, you know, an 800-page biography of someone I haven't heard of, and they're saying, no, "You're really going to like it." Saying, well, all right. <laughs> oh God, I've got to plough through I this. I know. I know. Yes. It, is a, it is a risk giving someone a book like that. I mean. Um, I have uh, given out uh, the Craig Brown's book about the Beatles once or twice in the last year or so because I read it in the last year yeah. and it's incredible but it is a doorstop it's and you you have to be really sure of yourself when you're telling people this thing to read to the extent of even buying them a copy which is not to say that it shouldn't be done. Buying people books as gifts, it's a great thing to do. No, but you could read it whilst waiting for something else to happen in the Get Back movies. <laughs> oh, I haven't got into that yet. I, I basically, I think you could get through most of the book in the course of that film. Yes, just okay, about. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. My wife is very happy at the end of Christmas if... All she has next to her is a large pile of books, but then she would have told everybody exactly the books she wants. Wow, that's
5: playing the clever game. Yeah, see, I I Mm. don't do that as much, really, and I should do.
0: No, but I like the surprise. I don't want to tell people what I want. I don't like the idea of people giving me a list of things they want for Christmas.
5: I like to be able to guess what they might want. Yeah, I am already becoming the sort of person who says, when asked, (laughs) what do you want for Christmas? Oh, well, I don't need anything, you know. Well, if I needed something during the year, I bought it. I needed a new tape measure, I, I went out and bought it, and that's, that's it, I'm afraid, so so tough. And it's the sort of man I swore I would never become. And as the years go by, it's just happened. Oh, no. I, I'm going to become one of the people who's incredibly difficult to buy for.
0: It's the opportunity to indulge yourself, though.
5: Yes. I, well, when you put it in those pleasure-seeking terms, that, that makes the whole thing... Uh sounded a lot nicer than what I was have been characterising it as an opportunity to complete any unfilled administrative tasks from the year. Do, do I need a new trowel? <laughs> yeah. No, the old trowel's fine. Right, I'll keep the old trowel. Nothing under the tree this year, thank you. Yeah. I see. This uh, pleasure-giving thing. I think you're onto something here, Mike. Well, maybe I'm, I'm going to transform Christmas for you. Yeah. Maybe that third
0: day after Christmas Day when you're sitting there, maybe that's what's happening to you. You're suddenly going... Enjoyment, yeah. pleasure, <laughs> relaxation. Yeah. Oh my God. I think that might be it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. nice to know that you've discovered that every now and again, but sad to think that you forget it by the 2nd of January.
5: I think so. And then it's the, just the long old haul to next December. <laughs> you've always
0: got a trial, though.
5: Yes. Always got a trial. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, brilliant. That's very funny.
0: Andrew Hunter Murray, digging for Britain this Christmas. Good luck with the baby in the new year, Andy. Right, where to next? Ah, yes, the guest that had me in tears, both of laughter and sadness, in episode 142 of my time capsule, the star of Emmerdale and lots more, the lovely Lisa Riley. Hello Lisa.
6: Hello Mike.
0: Merry Christmas.
6: A merry, merry Christmas.
0: And it really is beginning to look a lot like Christmas isn't it?
6: Can feel it in the air you know. Oh I
0: can almost smell it. So you're going to tell me about a lovely Christmas memory that you'd like to put into a time capsule.
6: I have a flashback to being 23 years old. Oh uh. I'm getting old Mike, I truly am. <laughs> um I turned twenty three, July thirteenth that year, and I finalized on my first house, the house that I first bought. Brilliant! With my own earnings, it was all mine. Uh, back in Berry, mm-hmm. where all my family are from, and where my family still live today, my dad, my brother, my sister in law my nephews and nieces, um, and I often go back to Bury, but it was the Christmas, my first Christmas, when I was 23 years old.
0: In your new home.
6: In my own home, and that sense of pride, that sense of coming together. Yeah. Um, my mum, my dad, my brother, my grandma, Pat, she was still with us. My granddad, Sam, was still with us, and my beautiful papa, my mum's dad, Bill they were all there my dog marnie who i mentioned as well on mm. the podcast yeah lovely dog yeah it was it was unbelievable when i'd worked so hard all the hours that i put in and owning my own home you know at 23 and and it was beautiful i did all the interior design myself and um Anyone who knows me knows I'm such a neat freak, and to have my own house, it was just how I always, always imagined. And I remember decking the house with the tree and all the decks and and the table. You know, I, I, to this day, I still love laying the table for Christmas, making that extra special details that everyone like loves and candles and colour schemes.
0: Yeah, me too.
6: Yeah, I truly love it. But this particular one just sort of, looking around and, and it was, it was the one memory where I had everybody who I love around me, um, my family. Um, of course, as I spoke, you know, a lot of them have gone to the angels in the sky now. Um, but that, that Christmas more than anything, it, it meant the world because my grandparents, the three of them that were there, my parents and my brother and my little dog, we had a sense of unity together. Um, in my home and having a, the pride that, that I'd, I'd achieved this. And sort of, we had a toast together to bless the house. And, Lovely. and that memory will, will live with me forever. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's special. And that sense of togetherness is what money can't buy you don't need presents you don't not when you have that when you have that you are insanely rich yeah all that love around the table it's nothing to do with getting the best toy or the best thing from selfridges you don't need it that's what you need the people around you who you love that's being rich yeah Thank you for letting me share with you my favourite, favourite Christmas memory, but yeah, it truly has to be that.
0: Yeah, a sort of independence, but also everybody together.
6: Yeah, when I was in my first paid-for house back in Bury, North Manchester, uh, Lancashire Girl through and through, (laughs) Um, yeah, all them years ago now, yeah great memories mm. so yes all your listeners mike um keep doing what you do time capsule is is amazing i'm, I'm an oh. avid listener and um yeah i'm sure you're gonna have loads of beautiful guests in uh, in 2022 which we will all be listening to
0: <laughs> what a lovely thought stay safe
6: stay safe and look after the ones that you love I will. Mwah, mwah, mwah. three christmas kisses <laughs>
0: with
6: no mistletoe
0: who needs mistletoe <laughs> what a gorgeous person lisa is and i'm not just saying that because she said my podcast is good although that does help obviously next we have the pop master himself the radio 2 dj and long time presenter of the eurovision song contest on radio 2 Ken Bruce, who actually agreed to join me on Zoom to chat about Christmas in an email sent at 9.29am. Now, any listeners to Ken's show, and there are a lot of them, will know that he goes on air at 9.30am. You could call that cutting it fine, but I call it experienced. Experienced. Ken Bruce, how lovely to have you on my Christmas time capsule, and we're going to talk about something that you either love about Christmas or
2: that you hate about Christmas, or maybe both. Well, probably both, because uh, I think for most people, Christmas is a time of great joy, but also... Some irritation. Uh, and most of that comes down to having family around you that you haven't seen for... I mean, I can remember when I was a child, on Christmas Day, we used to have all these relatives around, uh, some of whom were lovely, some of whom were you know. Uh, and then we'd have to do the whole thing again at New Year's Day. Uh, over at their place. (laughs) Nobody was in the mood for it. Nobody wanted it. So it can be a little irritating. But mostly, mostly, uh, I love Christmas. And and mostly it's the food. I do like Christmas food. Yeah. Almost everything. Uh, I mean, pigs and blankets, I could eat every day of the year, (laughs) all day. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Christmas I wouldn't need turkey wouldn't need any of that sort of stuff just pigs and blankets I could live on that it's not the healthiest perhaps no. of diets but I could happily do that and mulled wine I love mulled wine don't want it any other time than December and even then it has to be just a particular period in December but I love a glass of mulled wine mm. uh, come January forget it I don't want to know it but <laughs> it, it's absolutely it, it just it defines the season for me yeah and the secret of a good mold wine, apparently, is to use good wine. Yeah, uh, using the cheap old rubbish that you, you've had at the bottom of the cupboard for six months. Uh, it's never going to work. Oh, you've been round to my house. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even bother serving it as mulled wine. It just comes out in the glasses. Uh, yeah, it's got to be a uh, decent quality wine. I mean, I don't say it's your uh, Chateau du Pape or anything like that, but, you know, it, it, it's got to be a decent Yeah, bottle. a decent bottle. Yeah. Well, I like mulled wine as well, but um, I'm absolutely with you on pigs in blankets. I love them. Yeah, this is the great one of the great advantages. Uh, my wife is vegetarian, and one of the great advantages of living with a vegetarian is that you get all the pigs in blankets. Get to yourself. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've got to basically spot the children away, you know, some of them want to say, no, 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 these are dads. Back in the cupboard, back in the cupboard. <laughs> yes. But if you wish me to detail something that I hate about Christmas, again, it comes down to food, and it is bread sauce. <gasps> I mean, the very name, I mean, bread sauce. <laughs> Why would you make a sauce out of bread? <laughs> I mean, of all the things you've got in your house, it is poverty food isn't it you know if you had nothing else in the house but if there's anything else in the house you know there must be a a scrap of meat somewhere you could make a nice little gravy or something (laughs) there must be a vegetable you could do something with but bread i mean (laughs) God, and it tastes awful i've only ever tasted it i think twice in my life and that's been enough for me if i see it on a plate i'll just push it to the edge of the plate or not get it on the plate at all bread sauce I get it.
0: You're completely right. I would agree entirely with you, but I would never agree with you in front of my wife because she'd be furious. <laughs> she makes it every year, a huge bowl. Of bread sauce, which sits there until it gets thrown away sometime just before New Year's Eve. <laughs> you put it out for the birds, and even the birds won't
2: eat it. I mean, honestly,
0: <laughs> it's falling stuff. No, I'm going to try that this year. I'm going to watch the birds come up and just shrug their shoulders and turn away disappointed. <laughs> Thank you so much, mate. Lovely to see you. I hope you have a lovely Christmas yourself. Merry Christmas. Without bread, so. <laughs> Many thanks to Ken for taking time out of his incredibly busy schedule to chat with me. Actually, I tried to get him to chat with me in 2020, but we didn't get round to it until May of this year. <laughs> Still, that means i get a one-year-out T-shirt. That's, of course, gibberish to anyone who doesn't listen to Popmaster, but regular listeners will know that I'm partial to a bit of gibberish. In fact, my next guest and I spent a very happy hour exchanging gibberish, or as some people like to say, talking bollocks, back in July. So I was honoured that he took the time to talk to me again on a day where he was due to perform two shows at the London Palladium. It's the star of a multitude of musicals and pantomimes over the years, the brilliant Gary Wilmot. Have you done
7: ones in front of the audience yet then? Yeah, we did two yesterday, yeah, and it was it was good. They're absolutely loving it.
0: Yeah, I bet. They, yes. they
7: always do. They're just up for it and that makes a huge difference, you know. Mm. And uh, I was listening in the wings, particularly when Julian's on stage. It's like one of those American sitcoms where there's a laugh every line. He is fantastic though, isn't he? Oh, he's just a joy. He's um he's not only has such great stage presence but he's um he's a really nice man and he's he's really good at his job uh, i don't think i've ever come across anybody that has so much kind of stage presence as he has the moment he comes on you get him you know it's it's yeah. one of those and it's a r- real talent now
0: but you also would never have guessed thinking of his early days and his acts then yeah that he would then become the you know, the king of panto
7: <laughs> or the queen of panto I the queen of panto maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, no absolutely right and when i first heard oh we've got it 20 years ago maybe that julian was got i thought well, how's that going to work you know julian clary in pantomime but he's taken to it like a like duck to water it's uh, yeah, it's amazing and particularly now i mean he's he's the main man at the uh at the London Palladium. it's his theater mm. and well deserved as well and that's off the back of an amazing history of Panto at the Palladium, isn't it?
0: I went to see Arthur Askey in pantomime at the London Palladium in about 1963.
7: <laughs> You're far too young. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was saying Dan Lino next. No, yeah, uh, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I actually worked with Arthur Askey um, near, near the end of his career. His life, really? Um, yeah, he, he presented a programme called Rising Stars. Yeah. And uh, I was doing a double act at the time. It was about 45 years ago, 40, 44 years ago. And uh, and we went on and he was the host. Um, oh, my yeah, word. It was, it was quite strange. It must have been one of the last television things he did. But Michael Harrison, our producer, uh, they've come up with a brilliant design. All the way around the proscenium arch are posters from previous pantomimes there oh, um, wow. and it's really wonderful to sit there I mean in rehearsals I'd sit in the auditorium and I would just read all those names most of which I'd actually seen mm. uh, but there was Charlie Drake, Cannon and Ball, uh, Richard Hearn, Mr Pastry, yeah uh, yeah, and Billy Dainty and all these names are just up there it's a, it's a, it's a remarkable building it's almost a, a museum in itself Mm. the London Palladium, you know, you walk down some of the uh, corridors where the public aren't allowed, and there's all these photographs and posters of things there that, uh, yeah, just a true history of
0: variety. (laughs) Although you do get a sense of your own age, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) How lovely. Well, what a wonderful thing to be doing through Christmas. I'm not doing pantomime this year. Oh, you're not? No, I'm taking a break.
7: Your thighs have been slapped enough, have they? <laughs> oh i don't think i'm at the size. slapping stage <laughs> i can see you in a high-cut leotard <laughs> <laughs> strangely enough i
0: do dame which is what you do isn't it
7: yeah, yeah well i don't know if i do dame i'm kind of gary Wilmot in a dress really um <laughs> yeah there have been some great dames as we know like there's dawson as i mentioned billy dainty uh, just some wonderful people and and, uh, and i'd said when to move from playing buttons to become the, a, a dame is kind of like a huge step because then there is no going back from that. No. You know, once they get you in a frock, that's it. They go, oh, no, you're brilliant. Yeah, that's it. We only want you in a frock. I said to Michael when he asked me, I said, I've worked with a lot of dames and I the most of their work is done in the wings changing, yeah, you know, into different costumes. I said, if it can be done where right, I just have a first-half working outfit, a second-half working outfit, and then a finale. And he went, okay. Well, over the years, I kind of introduced, they go, oh, no, we're doing a big snow scene. We'd really love you if you were in a... <laughs> I go,
0: okay, it's exhausting. People don't realise that that's it. Whenever a dame is off stage, they're changing.
7: Oh, absolutely, yes. It's a struggle because I mean, particularly if it's not an everyday thing for you to to put women's clothes on, it's a real it's a real struggle. And there's usually two or three dresses to to help them with that. But I, I'm lucky. I, I kind of try and keep the costumes to a minimum. Mm. But this year it's not really a pantomime. It's a it's a tribute to to pantomime, and it's like a, I suppose if it was an album, it'd be called Now That's What I Call Panto. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all the best bits, all the best bits of Panto with no story. And uh, we do some great routines. And in a way, that's what Panto is. It is a
0: series of routines that are linked by a sort of a tenuous story.
7: Of course, we've got the... He's, and he is fabulous, Donny Osmond. I can't tell you how good Donny is. He's just absolutely fantastic um, a lovely man i work with his brother um well we crossed over on a on, a, on the role of billy flynn and jimmy is one of the nicest men you'd ever meet and mm. Donnie is is even better than that he's just so <laughs> lovely you know he'll come up to you after a scene and, and because he knows he's new to panto and it's all a bit of a You know, the danger of him looking like a rabbit in headlights and not knowing what's going on. But he came up and he said, "Um, have you got any notes for me?
8: You know, Uh
7: (laughs) This is a man who's been doing his job for 50 years. I mean, people say I look good for my age, but you want to see Donny Osmond. He looks like he's just (laughs) stepped out of a school uniform. It's just quite remarkable. Does he sing Puppy Love? Yeah, he does. Uh, Hooray! <laughs> That's a bit of a theme for him, but uh, I can't speak highly enough of him and the way he's just fitted in with everything and everyone and, uh, and so, so lovely, yeah.
0: I did bring my children to see you in Pantomime a long time ago and you were playing oh, Buttons.
7: Would it have been Richmond? Yeah,
0: and I have to say, for the lead comic, you're right up there. Oh.
7: You and Brian <laughs> Connolly. Um, oh, so- thank you very much. That's very kind of you. And I can remember if it was Richmond, I can remember that was the year. You know the way gags come into vogue, you do them a week later and they're they're out of fashion again because they're topical. And that year was the year that the guy lost his dog, Fenton, which I'm sure you'll remember. (laughs) I do, uh, uh, (laughs) Yes, on Richmond. And it was wonderful. When we were doing that scene that's in all Cinderella's, when you're, she's not going to the ball, but uh, you go, well, we'll have our own ball right here in the kitchen. And you grab the tablecloth and you go, here's a gown, and you put it around her shoulders. (laughs) And and that old gag with the carrots, here's a necklace, look at that. 12 carat whatever it is <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we get on the we eventually get on the coach and we start and we go there we go we go down the high street and across, and across Richmond common Fenton Fenton
0: <laughs> <laughs> and everybody roars and you, if room. you did that now they'd just stare at you absolutely that does happen yeah. with Panto jokes it's a shame really because there are some great ones I was thinking about it the other day one of my favourite jokes is uh, that all male tennis players are witches Goran even is a witch <laughs>
7: i love that, those plays on word i love it yeah there's a nice one in aladdin that, that never goes out of fashion and they say here comes the emperor salam 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 <laughs> and it, oh it's not the emperor false salam, false alarm, false alarm. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. it's a classic i like <laughs> yeah. it
0: when i'm doing dame when i discover a new joke that seems to work as a dame yeah you know, i put one in a few years ago that i I wrote actually, which was um, actually, I'm staying in a hotel, which is nice. And what a lovely girl on reception. She said to me, Would you like a wake up call? I said, Yes, please. She said, You're old, you're fat, and you've done
7: nothing with your life. <laughs> You could have it. Oh, that's very kind. That's a belter. We love him, you see, and all, yeah. audiences love that. I can't tell you what a thrill it is to be back in a theatre again. I can see that you jump out of bed in the morning
0: and are ready for it. Look at you.
7: Well, yes, but not. I, I don't think I, you jump, you know, we're a similar age. You don't okay. jump out of the bed for anything.
0: <laughs> or sadly, into bed for anything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we are. I was going to talk to you about something you want to put in the time capsule, but I'm perfectly happy to put your lovely time at the Palladium in there.
7: It's a real thrill, and particularly in the home of variety, it's a really very special place. It's absolutely fabulous to hear you
0: talk about it. So thank you. No, my pleasure. A Merry Christmas. Yeah. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) Gary Wilmot. Well, I hope you're enjoying our festive collection. I certainly am, but then, you know, two bottles of port really does help. Uh, Okay, we're going to take a small ad break now, uh, but if you really believe, we will return. Come on, say it with me. I believe in podcasts. I do, I do. I believe in podcasts. I do, I do. Hurrah, podcasts live. Right, we'll be back in a minute, boys and girls. Don't forget to go to the toilet.
1: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
0: and like that extra drink you shouldn't have on christmas eve we're back already right our next guest on my christmas time capsule is the scottish stand-up comedian and regular on the news quiz fred mccauley so, Fred Macaulay, how lovely to see you. Merry Christmas. And to you too, Mike. Now, uh, we're going to talk about something that you want to put into a Christmas time capsule.
9: Yeah, it's, it's a lovely thing, Mike, because this is a fond thing, yeah? Yeah. This is something that has shaped Fred Macaulay, OK? Absolutely. Now, I'm yes. going to take you back to about 1966. I would have been just coming up to my 10th birthday... We were living in a place called Rattray, which was the royal borough, I think, of Blair Gowdy and Rattray. And mm. Christmas then, Mike, in the 60s, um, and people listening to this might not believe it, I had to get up and do my paper round on Christmas morning, okay? <laughs> yeah, of course. Because papers yeah. were published on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day wasn't a proper public holiday in Scotland, so I had to go out, <laughs> deliver the papers, and then come home and open up the presents and I had started skiing as a wee boy, and I don't know, did you ski when you were young? No, not really. No, I went on
0: one school trip, and the, uh, the teachers got so drunk that basically we didn't bother <laughs> go skiing.
9: <laughs> right. Well, we lived quite near Glen Shee. It was probably about an hour, and I used to hitchhike up to Glen Shea. Can you imagine that? Age 10 and 11. With your skis? With my skis, because I couldn't wait uh-huh. for, the, for the bus to come up. And ski boots in those days were lace-up, at least mine were. You had an inner boot and an outer boot. And, Ooh. you know, they're about the size of a, a walking boot now. And I came home from the paper round. We all opened our Christmas presents and everything was fine. It would be a good Christmas morning. And I was directed towards a strange box that was under the seat where my presents had been and at considerable expense to my parents only one of whom was working at the time and they'd managed to buy me a pair of Castinger clip-up ski boots. Oh my word. This was something that only the posh kids had and Mm. I've never been so touched by a present in my life and for a long time they would sit in the box in my bedroom uh, and I would just (laughs) enjoy the smell of the the brand new leather. And I would clip them (laughs) and unclip them until I managed to get to get away skiing with them. I dare say in a few years after that there wouldn't have been something that you would have enjoyed smelling. (laughs) And I was telling this story to my kids and My youngest, Ian, said, I've just got an image of your dad sitting there with your ski boots on your lap, wafting the smell up from the boots (laughs) like Andrew Lloyd Webber used to do when somebody was thrown out of the search for Dorothy and they had to hand (laughs) over their shoes. They had to hand Andrew Lloyd Webber these shoes. And (laughs) we used to think, what's he doing? Look at the pair we get. Look at them. <laughs> so, it's these my very first pair of my own ski boots, Mike. And I've skied as I say since I was the age of 10, and mm. it's my single most enjoyable outdoor passion. It's a fantastic
0: thing, isn't it, when somebody realizes that somebody, particularly a child, wants something so badly that they go out of their way to buy a really expensive present. I mean, so often now, presents are really expensive and you have to try and dissuade a child from them because you say,
9: look, we can't afford it. Uh-huh. We can't afford £500 yeah. for a wee. <laughs> we don't have public conveniences nearly that expensive up here. <laughs> don't move to England. Don't move to England. It's too expensive. £500 for a wee. <laughs> but, yeah, and I, I knew I knew the value of, of things, even at that early age. And I knew that it had been a bank buster for my parents, you know. And yeah, I also yeah, yeah. knew that my brother and sister didn't get anything near that value. But um, as anybody else that has got a birthday close to Christmas will know, it was followed by the statement, that's your birthday and your Christmas
0: <laughs> I bet you. Oh, wow. That's a really lovely thing, Fred, to have as a memory. Mm. The only Christmas present I've ever bought that I could regard as being an equivalent was I once bought my son a unicycle. Right. Because he said he wanted a unicycle, and he said it all year long. Uh-huh. And I said, it's not going to last, surely. You know, you'll get on it, fall off, and realize it's no good. You can't ride them. And we bought him this unicycle on a Christmas morning. He grabbed it from the parcel Ran outside and we watched him for about 10 minutes as he leant against the wall and tried to do it and couldn't. And I thought, well, he'll be back in a minute. And then, of course, you know, drinks were drunk and uh, laughter was had and we sort of forgot about him. And then there was a knock on the door about an hour and a half later. And he said, come and watch. And we went outside and he got onto the thing leaning against the wall and off he went.
9: Jesus, how wonderful.
0: It was really wonderful. Yeah. And the sort of £200 present, which was way beyond anything we would normally buy them, was really worth it. Oh,
9: man. I can just imagine if I'd given a unicycle to any of my kids, they would have opened it up and said, where is the rest of the bike? (laughs) (laughs) Times are hard. We're getting Christmas presents in installments. (laughs) Next year, handlebars. <laughs> You've
0: definitely given me an idea for this year's Christmas present. I am going to get him handlebars. I'd <laughs> <and> say, <laughs> slowly, every 20 years. <laughs> You've waited long enough, son. That's great. <laughs> oh, Fred, how lovely. Thank you very much. Oh, I shall treasure that story and... Uh, and hope you have a wonderful christmas
9: and you as well mike it's great to see you let's let's you know we, we speak when you're doing your podcast but let's keep in touch Ooh. and have a blether because i love chatting to you mate
0: yeah me too
9: keep well oh, Mike. Right, great happy christmas and you keep well
0: well, I hope you're beginning to feel as Christmassy as I am. I'm 27 midspies and in and I'm feeling as sick as a pig. Right, our next guest is the journalist and presenter of The X Factor, This Morning and Loose Women, Kate Thornton, with some lovely memories of her mum and dad at Christmas.
10: When you think of Christmas, when I think about my Christmas childhoods, the thing i i i don't know why this is so vivid in my mind but my dad right used to work for sketchleys sketchleys dry cleaners yeah and he loved it right so when he when he and my mum were first married He worked his way up and he was like area manager for Oxfordshire and the Cotswolds. And our school holidays would be spent, I mean, it sounds so awful now, (laughs) in the back of a van full of dry cleaning, driving around the Cotswolds. No windows, no seatbelts, just a load of kids rattling around. And then come Christmas, they had this massive poster that was given to us that we used to put up in our house. And I think just the scale of it was so impressive and also the fact that nobody else had this poster and it was a picture of like a cartoon of santa quite old school um the way that it was drawn and the words were christmas is coming so santa fancy that they're settled down my trousers my jacket and my hat i think i'll (sighs) go to sketch list and see what they can do and sure enough i put it in and came back as good as new i remember it so well mike
0: of course
10: i wish we had it and for me, it was actually just something that was so symbolic of Christmas. I wonder what my son's version of that will be because everything we have is kind of shop bought and, you know, with the odd bit of crafting thrown in, you know, yeah. trees full of decorations that he made when he was three. That I'll never let go of, never let go of. But I think <laughs> if I put anything in that time capsule, i would probably put that poster back in.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. For
10: me, it was just like, I don't know. It just said Christmas in a way that nothing else in our house ever did. Like the trees changed. We went through, you know, I look back over our family photos and, you know, we had some funky multicolored tinsel trees at the same time. A green floral three piece suite that just looked like somebody had had a fight in a flower shop. (laughs) So everything moved. It was cyclical because these things are fashionable but the one thing that never changed was that. Yeah. And also, at that time, my dad. You know, I I still feel now pinning the, the poster to the wall with blue tack. That always had the good bits of last year's tinsel stuck in it. You know, like an old <laughs> pork scratching, a festive scratching. <laughs> um, I look back now, and I, I through my adult eyes, I realised that my dad had given up that job that he loved so much because he didn't pay enough, right? And, you know, times were tough. So he took a job working nights in a factory because the money was good. So he gave up a career that he truly loved. And that's the sacrifice, right? To give us kids the best life he could. And then he would do painting and decorating at the weekends. That's how we always managed to have a bit of a Christmas and a bit of a summer holiday, you know? We were the first people in our family to go to France, for example, on the coach. It was very exotic. We
7: had passports.
10: (laughs) Oh my God, have you heard about Alessandra Dennis taking those babies to France on the coach? So I now look back and I think, gosh, that must be very difficult. I, I don't know, was it difficult for my dad? I must ask him to put that up every year and to remember the times where, you know, he ran the firm. His sisters worked for him. It was a family business and everybody felt a sense of investment in it. And everybody loved working there. And anytime, even now they talk about those times, they light up. So there's something really magical about that poster and all that it represents, the sacrifice, the good times. And it's so funny because I hadn't even thought of that before we jumped on this call. It just came into my head.
7: Oh, how
0: lovely. I think the scale of it is the thing that is really impressive. It's really great that your dad kept it after he'd left Sketchley. You're right, it must have been painful to look at.
10: It must have been because he loved that life. You know, when they first got married, my dad was 19, my mum was 17, and they were posted to Maidenhead, which is... Incredibly exotic if you've never left the small kind of towns of the Cotswolds, right? And, you know, that in itself was pretty, that was a big deal. And in fact, I ended up going to stay near there a couple of weeks ago for a friend's birthday. I was driving back and I said to my mum, Oh my God, I'm near Maidenhead. And suddenly all the memories started pouring out of both of them. Mm. So for my mum's birthday in January, we're going to stay at a hotel in Maidenhead, and we're going to go and revisit all their early haunts when they first worked there running the local sketchlies in Maidenhead.
0: Oh, gorgeous. So that's a really fantastic memory, and I will definitely very carefully put that sketchlies poster into the time capsule. I
10: would love to know what happened to that. It was drawn like the the Coca-Cola Father Christmas.
0: Now I can Um, picture it. I can picture the very sort of bold 1960s look of it.
10: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? At the moment, yeah, I'd love to go. What I'd love now is to be able to sort of climb up into the loft and find it. That would be marvellous.
0: If you want to find that poster, it's in the time capsule.
10: Thank you, Mike. And actually, you know, I I would forego any gift this Christmas to have presents rather than presents. That's all I really want for Christmas.
0: That should be Up On Walls. Yeah. I want the presence of people rather than their presence. Brilliant. Isn't that brilliant? I tell you, if that motto isn't all over Christmas mugs, cards, cuddly toys and cushions by this time next year, then I'm no judge of how to get rich quick. And... Well, to be honest, I'm not even a very good judge of how to get reasonably comfortable slowly. Still, what gorgeous Christmas memories. Slightly more gorgeous than my next guest's memory at Christmas. This is something he'd like to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. It's the writer of The Catherine Tate Show, Scarborough, and the huge hit Benidorm, the lovely Darren Lytton, speaking to me from his gorgeous home in Spain. Bastard. So, Darren how lovely to have you on my Christmas time capsule. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Mike. So you're going to tell me something you either love about
11: Christmas or something that you loathe about Christmas. Well, I used to love Christmas. Not that I don't know. I'm okay with Christmas. I'm okay with it. Um, (laughs) I'm old and (laughs) jaded now. But when I was young and full of enthusiasm, I was actually a Professional magician hysterically uh, between leaving school and going to drama school. Mm-hmm. So, for about a year and a half almost two years, and I've always looked older than my years. So, when I was about sort of 16, I looked in my 20s and um, I had a contract with Trust House 40 Hotels doing close up magic. And I did, I don't tell many people this, but I did do children's parties as well, <laughs> um, which I didn't hate, you know, the image of the sort of children's entertainer and sort of Heidi High who hates kids, and that sort of thing. I don't hate kids, and I didn't hate them. But there was one that was on um, a council estate in Hull. I'm from Hull, and I was born on a council estate. I was born on a council estate called Home, which is one of the biggest council estates in Europe. The other council estate sort of next to that is called Orchard Park, Doesn't that sound lovely, Orchard Park? What a lovely place. Beguiling, yeah. (laughs) You know what? I'm not saying it's a horrible place. Just lots and lots of council houses that all look exactly the same. And not a single apple tree. Not an apple tree to be seen. Uh, So (laughs) I had a booking at one of the most infamous pubs in Hull, which is on the Orchard Park estate, called, and I wish I'd made this up, The Rampant Horse. (laughs) Uh, so I turned up to the Rampant Horse after doing two shows in schools that morning. It was utter chaos. So I t- I didn't dress as a clown or anything, but I was clearly an entertainer with my quite large box of tricks sort of thing, looked very colourful, and the kids just, they were, you know, fizzed up on E-number drinks and mince pies already, so they just went insane. And I said to the organizer, look, we're going to have to sit them down. And he said, well, you're the entertainer, aren't you? Oh, God. I said, I am, but I kind of, I don't want, I'm not a school teacher. You know what I mean? I, I'm not sort of, well, I mean, they'll sit down if you do something, won't they? And it's like, <laughs> well, so I opened my box and of course the kids just ran because they thought it was full of Christmas gifts or whatever. Mm. So this was just absolute insanity. And then, well, I thought it was, I got some of the kids sat down And I opened my box and and started to take a few things out, and I thought, okay, I'll do something visual and quite sort of flashy to get their attention. As I'm about to do that, Father Christmas falls through some double doors, absolutely (laughs) pissed out of his mind. His sack of toys goes everywhere. The kids dive on that. And I just picked up my box, and I ran. And I never (laughs) did a children's party ever again in my life. It was Possibly the most terrifying experience of my professional career.
0: <laughs> and yet, those children have grown up and they say, We once saw this magician. His finale was extraordinary. He made Father Christmas appear right through the French windows,
11: it was unbelievable. And then he disappeared. <laughs> That was literally the only trick I did. I managed to make myself disappear in about (laughs) three seconds flat. Maybe that's why I'm not that bothered about Christmas. Or performing (laughs) Christmas. (laughs) because i stopped doing both (laughs) but i've got to say that i'm I'm not a complete humbug after this lovely conversation with you mike i'm going out to buy christmas decorations for my bar in spain Mm. so it's not all bar humbug with me i do buckle every now and again just before you go then you
0: just have to say what the weather's like so we can all be really really jealous
11: do you know what? It's always, as you know, Mike, because you spent a lot of time here yourself uh, <laughs> with me and, and a lot of others, um, doing my show, Benidorm. Yes, happy days. In fact, it's always 10 degrees warmer, isn't it? Merry Christmas, Mike.
0: Merry fucking Christmas.
11: <sighs> Adios! <laughs>
0: <laughs> there we are, no bar humbug from Darren. just... Our decorations. Well, we've nearly come to the end of part one of our Christmas time capsule chats but there will be more guests in our next episode which we've very inventively called part two but before we go, here is one of my favourite guests, actor, author comedian, television presenter and a member of the Cobham Parish Council Emma Kennedy <laughs> Emma, well, I understand that apparently you have no funny stories at all.
8: No, uh, no, absolutely no funny stories. No, none. Uh, I've got the story about the time that I decided I might try making brandy and champagne cocktails. Would you like that story?
0: <laughs> oh, all right then.
8: Okay, so so <laughs> I was at university and I'd come home for the holidays. And I think at some point during the previous term, somebody had given me a brandy and champagne cocktail, and I'd been very impressed with it. And so mm. I'd come home and thought to myself, oh, I know what I'll do to get Christmas Day off to a rollicking start. I will make everyone a brandy champagne cocktail. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing with a dash here and a dash there became large pour here and a large pour there. And before we knew it, myself, my mum and my dad had had three of the things each. So before we even, because we kept going, oh, isn't this lovely, this is lovely, just thinking, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's fine. Anyway, we were absolutely fucked as pigs by lunchtime. It was, you, we, we can't even imagine how drunk we were before the turkey had even touched the table. And I remember eating Christmas dinner. My mother's forehead was on the table. Her forehead was on the table. Anyway, I sort of staggered away from the table, not because we were drinking wine now at this point as well. We were absolutely off our tips. I sort of stumbled away from the table thinking, oh, no, I need to lie down as a matter of urgency. And I went into the sitting room and the next thing I knew, I heard a door shut to the sitting room and the key in the lock turning. And my mother had woken up (laughs) from her stupor in the dining room and thought, oh, it's bedtime, I've missed Christmas, and had gone round locking all the doors to go to bed. It was only four o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon, okay? I was locked in the sitting room. My father, meanwhile, was lying face down in the hallway with his forehead up against the front door, apparently saying, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> he wasn't a man who had any sort of depressive illness. I should stress that. Anyway, I was trapped in the sitting room for six hours, and I had to urinate into a vase.
0: <laughs> oh my god! Will <laughs> that
8: Christmas story do for you, Mike?
0: I'd say you haven't got any decent stories then. <laughs> no,
8: there's no decent stories apart from the other time when I the best Christmas present I was ever given was by an ageing aunt who just pressed into my hand some loose tampons and whispered into my ear, "I don't need them anymore." <laughs> Fill your boots, I don't need this. She handed them to me like they were family jewels.
0: (laughs) Oh, my word. I have made the mistake of putting other alcohol into champagne first thing on Christmas Day. I've made that mistake, but we didn't go that far. No, we had one and went, Jesus. Yeah. If we have any more of these, we're gonna fall over. Yeah. And you had three.
8: We were idiots. We were absolute idiots. We just got completely overexcited. It's like when I was younger and I would open. we'd only get a box of after eights on Christmas Day. That was that was how it was in the seventies and the eighties. They were Mm. like super special. (laughs) And the box would open and you would go mad. You'd go mad. You'd eat half of them before eleven o'clock.
0: And it says on the box what the rule is I know. after eight.
8: Yes, after eight. We went through a period of just getting very overexcited during Christmas. And that was the net mm. result of it.
0: Well, it's to your credit. You should get overexcited at Christmas, I think. I agree. That's exactly what it's for, it's yeah. for those sort of stories. Emma, what a lovely thing and what a warning to everybody else. What a thing to avoid on Christmas morning.
8: Yes, I'm like the ghost of Christmas past, just warning you of things that might happen.
0: Although you've helped me a lot because I was really wondering what to get my daughter for Christmas and uh, clearly tampons.
8: But they must be loose. <laughs>
0: You've been listening to My Christmas Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and various guests. A big thank you to all of them for giving up their time and for sharing their Christmas memories with us. If you've enjoyed it, you can hear all of them and plenty of other people on our regular podcast, which you can subscribe to on any podcast player. You can follow both me and my time capsule on several social media sites. The theme music was written by Pass the Peas Music, and this was a cast-off production for Acast. Our producer was John Fenton-Stevens. So, until next time, as Father Christmas says, in those long summer months when he has very little to do apart from keep down the weeds around his veg on his large allotment. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, come on, I've just made that up on the spot. I mean, there's no need to get all uppity, try and unplug my mic. No, leave that alone. No, stop it. I mean, come on, it is Christmas...